Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Tonight's event, we're going to do um, a little introductory reading, uh, a discussion about how this book came to be, another reading with images, and then uh, we'll do an audience Q&A, and then I'll set up a table for a signing at the end. Um, all right, so... I'm going to go ahead and introduce our two readers tonight. While I do that, if you would all help me out and please silence your cell phones. Catherine Scanlon lives in Los Angeles. Her stories have appeared in Noon, Fence, American Short Fiction, Tin House, Granta, and the Iowa Review, among other publications. A collection of stories, The Dominant Animal, will be published in 2020 by FSG Originals. Amina Kane is the author most recently of the short story collection Creature Out with Dorothy, a publishing project, and a novel Indelicacy, which will be published in 2020 by Farrah Strauss and Giraud. Her essays and short stories have appeared in N Plus One, The Paris Review Daily, Bomb, Full Stop, Vice, The Believer Logger, and other places. She lives in Los Angeles and is a literature contributing editor at Bomb. Please give Catherine and Amina a warm skylight welcome. that sound okay? Yeah? Okay. So I'm just going to read um, the introductory note to my book, um, and then I'm going to read a, a short section from it uh, after Amina and I talk. The text that follows is drawn from a stranger's diary. I acquired the diary 15 years ago at a public estate auction. It was among the unsold items. I removed it from a box on its way to the garbage. It looks like garbage. I am surprised it made it to the auction house at all. It is a small book, approximately the size of my hand, an inch and a quarter thick. The pages have detached from the spine and sit in a solid chunk. The binding is cracked and bandaged with brittle tape. The diary was at some point submerged or leaked on the ink on the bottom third of almost every page has bled, blue, very pretty, and is mostly undecipherable. Front and back covers are pitted with mildew and dirt. The strap that fitted into a brass lock on the front is gone, but the key is sealed in an envelope and tucked inside. Whenever I handle it, some bits crumble onto my desk. The diary was a Christmas present to the author from her daughter and son-in-law. The author wrote her full name and address on the front page. She resided in a small Illinois town. She was 86 years old when she began recording in it. The diary chronicles the years 1968 through 1972. Each page is a calendar day, divided into five sections, one for that date for each of the five years. A contemporary vendor of this type of diary claims the format allows you to travel forward and back in time. At first, I loved only the physicality of the diary, the author's cramped hand, the awkward, artful way she filled the page. 
I liked its miserable condition. Its position was tenuous, yet here it was. I didn't try to read it. I kept it in a drawer. I assumed it illegible. But then I did read it, compulsively. I hunched over it, straining my neck. I read it front to back, perhaps a dozen times by now. As I read, I typed out the sentences that caught my attention. Then for 10 years, off and on, I played with the sentences I'd pulled. I edited, arranged, and rearranged them into the composition you find here. At this point, as you might expect, the diarist's voice, her particular use of language, is firmly, intractably lodged in my head. Often I say to myself, some hot night, or flowers coming fast, or grass sure growing, or everything loose is traveling. In fact, I have possessed this work so thoroughly that the diarist has ceased to be an entirely unique, autonomous other to me. I don't picture her, I am her. The diary has become something like kin, a relation who is also me, myself. I have at times been exasperated with it. I have wondered why I continue to return to it, year after year, draft after draft. Why does it compel me so? Isn't it terribly banal? Is it like a game I come back to because I've not mastered it? Is it some kind of sacred text meant for me alone? Has it trained me, this inexhaustible textbook, how to choose, contort, order, and cut? It still moves me, which seems unbelievable. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. Um, I want to start just by saying that I think um, Og Nine Fog is a beautiful book. Um, it's without trying to be. It's maybe one of the most unsentimental books I've ever read, and I mean that as a pure compliment, <laughs> like very complimentary. It's indeed mysterious. Um, it, um, it it intrigues me a lot, and um, congratulations on its publication. I'm glad it's out. and. I think it's kind of a foggy night tonight. I felt that as I was walking here from <laughs> my car, so I think that's a good sign. Um, uh, so you said that um, you got the diary about 15 years ago, and mm -hmm. then um, you kind of sat with it and then eventually read it, um, and then for about 10 years you worked on it off and on. And I'm wondering what that what that looked like, um, the, the off and on. Um, would you take a break for a year, two years, a month, a few months? Um, and when you did come back to it, was it a kind of situation where, you know, you're like, I have the summer off, so I'll work on it during the summer? Mm -hmm. Or did you kind of wait until you were compelled, kind of drawn towards it again, to work on it again? I, I don't know that I could really say um, time-wise, but it was something that um, I was writing short stories at the same time. And so it was, it was kind of something that when I felt stuck or like I, I couldn't write stories, I would come to this project. Um, and I felt like it helped me work on the stories in a way. Um, just working with language as like, as parts to move around or, or something to, to study composition. Um, 
and yeah, so then I would take that back to the stories that I was working on at the time. But probably, yeah, I would take like a few months and, and maybe not look at it. And I did like a lot of different, um, I tried a lot of different formats for it, like a lot of different arrangements of it over the years. And so a lot of the working with it was just, you know, experimenting with those different kinds of things and like trying, I tried for a while pairing it with my fiction or like with these other um, pieces of writing that I had been doing that were sort of using other found texts also or like with found photographs that I had been collecting um, but then ultimately ended up with this form. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was going to ask that actually if you're someone who can work on uh, like two or more projects at a time, you know, because I have some friends who they can work on like three prod, you know, like, yeah. and I'm always just like one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And so, so you would kind of move back and forth between this book and your story collection. You yeah. Would. And it's something that I'm, I'm doing now too. Like it seems to be, I guess the way that I, I like to work, like I have a few different book projects that I'm, and I, I think that it means that they kind of all go more slowly, but, um, and even when I'm working on short stories, I feel like I'm usually working on maybe like a dozen at a time and just kind of going from one to the other and sometimes things get moved from one story to another and um, kind of collaged in that way among those works. Yeah. Um, you you said that the, you know, the diaries <coughs> in a way they, um, the diary was this inexhaustible textbook, which mm -hmm. I really like and that it, you know, and, and in your introductory note, you talk about how how the diary, working on the diary kind of informed your stories. Did you feel like that was like a, it went the other way too, that um, your work on your short stories was all, you know, like I'm just wondering yeah. about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, it, I mean, some people might not agree with me, but I think that there is sort of a, um, like a narrative arc to this book. And um, yeah, I definitely think like working with fiction, with, with short fiction, helped me write this book as well, for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a narrative arc, too. I mean, I, um, the way I kind of see the narrative, um, or, or kind of bits of narrative, um, one of the things that struck me as I was reading it uh, um, was, was the sheer number of names that appear in the, in, um, in the book, and you know, I think I probably have this stereotype of like you're 86 or you're 90 and there aren't many people in your life at mm -hmm. that point. But um, even on the first page, I think there are three names mentioned. Mm -hmm. Alvira, Harold, Maud, I, I can't remember for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's a small bit of text, but these, these names kind of mm -hmm. come in right away. And, and I kind of saw the, the people or the characters in the, in the book as kind of kind of like fleeting but sort of solid with their names but kind of flickering into into a narrative and then maybe flickering out and I would sort of start to feel like there were these different narrative threads also kind of flickering to life but maybe also quietly being let go in a way um, which I, I liked a lot um, you don't with the characters you don't always know um, who they are what their relationship is, you know, to, you usually don't know who they, you know, who they are to the narrator. Are they family? Are they friends? Mm -hmm. Some of them die, you know, some of them are mentioned because, because they've just died. Um, but Dee and Vern, you know, that there, there starts to be 
for me when I was reading this this narrative thread that kind of starts to expand more um, and I I really love the way um, detail worked works in the book um, that you don't things aren't really announced you know like um, the narrator doesn't say I'm a widow you know my husband died I had a you know but there's this widow's club dinner that happens mm -hmm. and then she, you don't in the first part of the sentence you don't even know if the narrator attended the dinner but then it's like the fried chicken was delicious or I'm messing up the sentence but mm -hmm. you know just that, mm -hmm. that you learn like that she she's a widow through that kind of detail and I, yeah. re I really like well that was I mean that's really the experience of, of reading that I had reading the diary you know it's like uh, the diarist isn't going to explain to me or to anyone who's reading this thing that she's writing, like who these people are in relation to her. And there was, I think that there was something about that mystery that was just so compelling mm -hmm. to me. And I, I think that I, I tend to like literature of, of all kinds that, that does that, that doesn't really spell things out completely for you and, and leave space for you to sort of think what you want to think about these things and um, to sort of imagine things the way that you want to and and yeah so that was something that I it's something I try to do in, in fiction too and it's something that I definitely wanted to preserve in this book I find it really exciting yeah to not know yeah me too <laughs> yeah I really like mystery yeah yeah. Um, you've you've talked about um, liking uh, plain language, um, mm -hmm. the pared down style, and um, I like that those things too. And um, I I was thinking about um, there the kind of you know the idea of some, of a book being pared down, and there's this really to me interesting almost stripping down that happens. Um, both on the level of the sentence and the narrative. So um, on the level of the narrative, there's um, there's a page where, you know, it says something like um, Vern, Vern had a, has a fever, and then the next sentence is Vern better, or Vern is better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I like that what could, in a book, maybe take pages and pages. You know, if Vern has a fever, like it could take chapters for him to feel better, or it could take maybe mm -hmm. just. But I like that it's just like the very next sentence. Yeah. You know, and and so like narratively, that seems like a really interesting kind of paring down or stripping down. But um, in the sentences too, I noticed um, that sometimes words are missing. So like mm -hmm. for instance, the narrator might say "I painting" instead of "I'm painting" mm -hmm. or. Um, he real bad instead of like he's real bad mm -hmm. um, and I was I was curious about that you know like if um, just that that kind of stripping down of the sentence um, and I was curious if some of that came from the diarist's own grammar and, and ways of writing or if that's something you know and that you sort of really went into or if it's something that happened as you were kind of excavating or kind of stripping down? Yeah, kind of both. Um, she definitely had a very, um, what I found like a wonderful way of, of, of writing in this book. Um, and it feels to me like a, 
a kind of Midwestern vernacular mm-hmm. and also a, mid- a Midwestern vernacular like of another era like mm-hmm. um, and and that was something that like that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to work with this text but then I also as I was making this book um, that was definitely something that I kind of like pushed or you know made it even like kind of tried to accentuate what I felt like was already happening that was really interesting with what she was was doing with language yeah Yeah. but eye painting is her which I think was the first one of the first lines that I sort of as I was glancing through it like saw that and was like I love that yeah it's pretty satisfying (laughs) I love it it's so um authoritative and declarative and it's such an odd use of language and it's I just there's something about it I really love mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking of um, the ways you know in which the book is not sentimental one of my favorite moments is when um, Dee has a um, gravestone um, set out at the cemetery for her and mm-hmm. then the narrator says we went to see it it looks really nice and <laughs> like it's so yeah. I mean it's just that kind of moment where you you have a a gravestone set up. And I guess my grandmother did that too. And, you know, it's something that people do, but I personally have not experienced that yet, you know, like, and, yeah. and it's just so, it's like not sentimental at all. The way it's, it's so like, practical. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I love that they did that and, and they both did it, the, um, the daughter and the diarist and, um, and I've never known anyone to do that, but, um, but I've been actually, before this book was published, I I tried to find her relatives, and I got in touch with some of them. And in one of the recent conversations with with her, she's a distant cousin, um, she is doing the same thing. She and her husband oh. have already bought their, oh my gosh. their stones. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't know if it's something about um, people who tend to, to live and stay in the, the same town, mm-hmm. and all of their family is there. They know they want to be buried yeah, there. They know they want to be buried with their the rest of their family, and so they just figure, we'll we'll get the stones now and and get them set up and yeah yeah, but pretty compelling I think. Definitely <laughs> a very interesting approach. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I was curious about time too. How um, how you worked with with time in the book? Um, it's it's obviously structured by seasons and mm-hmm. the book it starts in the winter and ends in the winter mm-hmm. um but again in the introductory notes um you mentioned the format of the original diary that you know you could for the same date you have like five slots on a page mm-hmm. where you know so each year you as you write in you know whatever you write on that day you could see like what happened the year before or the year before that and this idea of traveling back and forth in time is pretty interesting um did you feel as a writer when you were working on the book that you tried to inhabit that too? That sense of traveling back and forth in time, or did you write like a linear? Um, yeah, these. I mean, the the sentences that I ended up pulling from from the diary sort of came from all of the years. Um, so, it, well, with the exception of the last year was was kind of the one that was affected most by the water damage. So there were uh, weren't that many sentences that I could really read there um, to try to to see if I wanted to select those or not but um, yeah so like 
you know, some of these sentences, like, I don't know, it, you know, you probably can't tell in this book, but like, there are some that come before the death of Vern that, uh, mm-hmm. that actually, you know, like there's a little bit of like time difference there that, mm-hmm. um, that I played around with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's, um, something that struck me in that way. I think it's, it's with Tippy and Tippy's a dog, right? Tippy's a dog. Okay. I For a second ass- I was I like, Tippy's not a cat, right? <laughs> Tippy's a I dog. I assume Tippy's a dog. Yeah. Yeah. On page, on page 71, there's, um, Tippy sleeping in back porch, Tippy come home around three, Tippy not home all day. So the sense of all these different times happening at once, like on the back porch. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, those were definitely the... compressed over those happened. Yeah. Those were things that were taken for multiple months or maybe even multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. I, I like that sense of being mm-hmm. able to feel the different times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to read from the cool. yeah. book? Well, um, I'm going to be in the way if I sit here, so I should probably write up the I images. Don't think so that I, you will. No? I mean, you're welcome to move okay. if you want to. Well, you guys tell me, right? If my head is just like. Um, I just decided to. I don't know if this is going to look good or not, but um, to project the the pages because it's kind of a weird book to read out loud, and and also the arrangement on the page was really important to me. Um, so I just felt like it would be nice to see it visually as I as I read each of these. Spring. A grand rain. Oh. Oh, no, I'm supposed to be in summer. Did I send you spring? I sent the wrong one. Hmm. I'll I'll read spring. It does? Okay. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay. Spring. D washing, then they to Berg, D about her eyes. Wind awful chilly, Tippy sick, Elsie sick, Linda had car accident in PM. Janie was lonesome, thundering. East of us had bad wind, blowed cars off road. Tippy better, wants out, sits in window, looks out, fog out. I sure slept, took a night all. Kinda misty in AM, I weighed 120, had on blue and new shoes, my feet smelled some. Mildred papering. Vern took a fish down to Bayard for his birthday. Daffodils and pussy willows out pretty. Robin on nest today. Changon, cat. D set my little hard maple out in front. It died. Looking over old clippings, I don't feel any older. Dee and I walked over to Bertha's to see her flowers. We had tea, cookies, and candy. Legs kind of tingly when we got home. Started my topsy animal Roy gave me in Eve. It will grow long hair. Little showers of rain. Mother's little writing desk. Bird's eye maple bedstead and commode. Windy again today. 
I am painting, trees budding, Dee hunting up things for her tea. Terrible windy, everything loose is traveling. Stella found a lot of things had been taken, mostly antiques. Grass sure growing, grass looking green, blue spruce. Fire whistle in night, steady rain at eight. He brought us some mush to fry. Flowers coming fast, all feeling pretty good. Vern making garden, onions and radishes. Eye painting, de-washing. She hung out some things. Dee and Bucky going to see about headstones. She bought one. Seen eight, nine, ten, eleven jets tonight, two airplanes, and new moon while we were eating supper, six to six forty-five. <laughs> Dee out to cemetery, her headstone is being put up. We went it back out toward Eve. Stone looks very nice. Vern got him shirts. Doctors found nothing. Not cloud in sky all day. Mildred little better. She has give up building. D and V got me pretty slippers for Mother's Day. Hard rain last evening. Sure do lot good. Out to Mother's grave with flowers. D washed my head. Fed all my flowers. No dogs in sight today. Ruth came through operation. Hiller's house burned. We went out to see what fire had done. Sure, clean sweep. Vern found potato big as hen's egg. Lucille and Dee going to river fishing today. Hope it's pretty there. Ruth come wearing her new red wig. It will look good when we get used to her. <laughs> Awful murky all day. D dizzy. Lightning hit and burned Charlie's garage. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it kind of was like that. Um, the original is almost 400 pages long, um, very dense. She filled in every space. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a very extreme whittling from that, yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, so I don't, I didn't, when I <clears throat> got the diary, I didn't know anything about her. Um, and I tried to look her up, like, early on, it, you know, and I think I got the diary in, in 2004, and I think in the, like, several years after that, I maybe did, like, a couple of internet searches and, and tried to see, I just, I thought maybe I could find, like, an obituary for her or something like that, and I never found anything, and so I just kind of stopped looking, because I thought, like, what are the chances that I'm going to be able to find anything out about this woman or find anybody who knows her or anything like that. Um, but then last year when it, it was going to, the book was going to be an actual thing in the world, um, I decided I need to try to find them again and, and let them know about this book and, and hopefully send them copies and, and hopefully they would not be mad about it. <laughs> um, and so I looked again and this time, I think because there's been, there's such a, a large online genealogy scene. Um, some of her family members are, are interested in genealogy. And they had, they had made this page for her on this website called findagrave.com. And so I looked her up and found her grave um, and found the graves of all of her family members and a lot of the people that are in this book like saw how she was related to them. So it was, there was sort of a lot of information that was revealed that um, really kind of changed like how I, how I think about this project now. And I, I don't know that, I think that the not knowing was a big part of like making this book. Um, but I'm glad, you know, I'm glad to know it now and I'm glad to be in, in contact with the relatives, but yeah. So you found out all, all this knowledge after the project was completed? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was their response to your relatives? How did you contact them actually? Um, I sent a message through this website, Find a Grave, um, and this was a like a second cousin, I think is how we worked it out. Um, or the wife of a second cousin, and she was excited, and um, she said, I think, she said something like, it's it's history, and we're happy that it's going to be shared, um, and I sent them a scan of the diary, and which she's currently reading now, and, and kind of going through it in a way that she's trying to figure out who all these people are and a lot of them they know because of their work with genealogy and also just they know them because they're family, distant family members. Um, so they seem to be, enjoy, be enjoying having that document anyway. And we're glad it wasn't thrown out or, you know, yeah. But how it came to be, you know, how it came into my possession, it, it's, I always kind of assumed that there weren't really family members left to care about it. You know, you'd think like someone dies and these, this sort of information, a diary or like family photos, things like that, like you think that if there's family left to care about it, they'll take it probably. But um, so I'm not quite sure like what happened to allow this to go up for public auction, but um, but yeah. It had it happened. <laughs> Hi. So you sold out with Blue Drift, and you sold it to 
Yeah, some some of them. I mean, some there are some that are that were as as is in there, but um, a lot of them I've kind of chopped up a little bit and or combined different sentences or or added words here and there and um, and then the juxtaposition of the individual sentences, like most of the ones that are, I mean, none of the ones really that are in this book that are next to each other were, they weren't next to each other and, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I think maybe when I was a kid, but I don't think I was ever really interested in it. And when I, when I moved here, um, I was, I was working on this already and my friend gave me a, a five-year diary, you know, to keep like while I was moving and stuff like that. And I think I kept maybe like 10 days worth and then and stopped. It's not, not for me. I keep a journal that like for writing and for like story notes and things like that. But yeah, not a diarist. Yes. Yeah. It did. And I, um, you know, I thought a lot about, like, what it would mean to do this and, and to make this book. But I think that ultimately, like, over the years, I kept coming back to it. And I kept feeling like there was just something in the book that I loved so much and that I, I really felt, I really felt moved by. And I, I just wanted to share it, I guess, or I wanted to make something that would convey that same feeling that I had had reading the diary. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming. <laughs>